Hello and welcome to part two of the Jesse Ray podcast. We're going to kick things off right at the very start of the Thistle album and here's Jesse. Enjoy! If I just go through the tracks, I ah, really definitely. want to talk to you about your videos because mm-hmm. the things you've done in your videos, nobody could do now. Impossible. You could do it, but health and safety would be a problem. <laughs> That's the only thing. You know, you've, you've, well, the first track on the album is Inside Out. Actually, in 1980, I wrote it for Slave because Jimmy Douglas was um, an engineer at Atlantic Studios then and he was going to get into more and more production. And uh, anyway, so uh, he said to me, um, because it was actually through the Average White Band that I met Jimmy because Jimmy was top engineer at Atlantic Studios with Average White Band, cut the record. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so I used to see Jimmy when I was up there seeing one of the lads and that and I I, uh, um, I just really befriended him and, and we got, became great pals and then obviously became collaborators. So what happened was that um, he got the job as producer for Odyssey. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry, the first thing was he was producer for Slave and uh, it was just one of those times that I didn't even know that Slave were from Dayton. So I had no idea about Dayton at this part of the, my my uh, my career. Right. Um, so uh, he said to me, uh, I was in the studio one day, and he says, look, I'm having a hell of a time here because the band are, not as so much they're falling out, but they're having a lot of problems with management and the rest of it and that. And we've come to a kind of, come to a moment where, we're having a clash here and I need to get this album done. Mm-hmm. So you let me hear this uh, track on cassette of just a rhythm track with a couple other rhythm tracks and stuff like that. And I had, when I was back in Scotland here, I was writing a song called Inside Out of My Bass. And, it, it, you know, I, I was just working on it. I hadn't really anywhere, I wasn't taking it anywhere. Right. But when I heard... Um, uh, the track of uh, Inside Out, that melody came back to me again. And I said, you know something? It fits perfectly with this, you see. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, I thought that uh, Mark Adams was a, a fantastic bass player. They were great musicians, yep. you see. And uh, also uh, uh, Steve Arrington on drums. And I just thought Steve Arrington and, and uh, Mark were just such a great, tight combination. Yep. So that... The melody I had kicked off on all their 
parts they were playing. And I thought, this is great, you see. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy said to me, look, I want to break them into Europe. They're not really interested because they've not really been there and they're very ethnic and I respect that. And I said, oh, well, I do too, if that's just what they want to do. But he said, look, I need a hit tune. You know, I need a hit tune. So that's when I wrote Inside Out. Right. And uh, anyway, so what I did was I came over here. I left. Uh, they still were not getting on 100% at all when I left. Uh, and I said, look, I'm going back to Scotland for about two or three weeks or something like that. When I come back, I'll have this finished and stuff. And, uh, you know, the rest of it. So anyway, I get back there and I go up to the Atlantic and I go in the studio and there they are. They've got this tune up there called Watching You, Girls Watching You or something. Right. And it was the track that I'd been writing a, a song. It was The one I heard was just guitar, bass, keyboard and a bit of guitar mm -hmm. in a rehearsal studio. But this was the one up on the mix, you see. And I sat in it and I was sitting there listening to it back and I think some of the band were in and that. And uh, he says, well, what do you think? And I says, well, I says, it's great, you know, it's great. He says, well, what have, what have, what have you got? So when I let him hear the demo that I'd done of Inside Out, he fell off his seat and he says, oh, God, he says, but we're nearly finished the record now, you see. So I thought, well, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. Anyway, so that was 1980. And it was kicking around Atlantic Studios for two years on the shelf, nine hand. Right. And then Odyssey got the job for Odyssey as producer. Mm -hmm. So they were looking for songs. And uh, Jimmy says, I think I've got a song here. So he put on Inside Out. They fell off their seat. Yeah. And he said, we've got to do this song, Jimmy. We've got to do this song. And so that is, I was called in. I hadn't met the band yet. I never actually met the band till I went to Scotland. They were touring in Scotland. Right. And uh, Jimmy said, look, I'm going to change the track here because I've already got watching you, you know, uh, and it's doing really well. You know, it just it just been really or was getting released or something like that. And he says, uh, well, just uh, well, the same feel will be there. But, you know, I'm going to bring in Sandy Anderson, a great bass player, the late Sandy Anderson. Uh, uh, and replace Mark because it was because Steve Arrington came in and he just played exactly the same bit he played on their slave track. You right. see, so Jimmy had to change the bass player and do, add different musicians and different instruments and stuff like that. So the track was different. The melody uh, was a, a root melody that I had that was just it was there, it was stuck there forever. <laughs> so I said, uh, "Who's in this band?" And he said, "Oh, there's two lassies and a girl, a uh, laddie." And I says, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll voice the parts down the track like them, you see? Right. Uh, so that when they come in and listen to it, they'll know where the choruses and the bridges are, what they're supposed to be singing. They can work it between them. Which is, So I sang like two lassies and a guy. And uh, I laid that down. And then uh, I went off and I was doing all the other things I was doing. And about, is it four months later or five months later or something? I went back to Scotland again, and uh, when I got off the plane, I was driving down the borders, and I, heard, I thought I heard something on the radio, it was kind of familiar, but I didn't really pick up on it, but I got in the house, and my mum says to me, is that not your song? And it was number two in the charts then, <laughs> see, and I'm going, oh, that Christ, was you just that's inside it? out, you know, <laughs> uh, 
And then, uh, then what was even weirder was they were on top of the pops, but they were miming to me. <laughs> They'd kept my vocals in. Her voice, obviously, the lead vocal, and a couple of little vocals that put in. But basically, the the two guys in the lassie were 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 miming to me, Mind and I, I thought it was a very weird situation. <laughs> you see, but it was already like number one in all the black charts, and uh-huh. you know, in the black network and all that stuff. But it got to number two here. I see, that's when we had we had individual charts, which was a lot better for. Oh, everyone was better for individual artists. Then you know the artists didn't fit that. The first thing I got was a record for two hundred fifty thousand sales just for Great Britain alone. Uh Those were the days when you got paid for your work. Yep, you know. No, no, it's it's just an it's just a fucking rip off uh, now, you know. So I was talking to somebody today about you know and and you know what they do what what you know Universal is still my publisher, right? The bastards have caught that are calling themselves now Universal China. They're all putting China on the end of it because they're all going to right. chase money in China now, you yep. see. Um, but then I heard that they gave Bob Dylan a hundred million for his publishing and Lil Wayne. They gave him a hundred million each. And I'm thinking, where are they getting this bloody money from, mm-hmm. right? From the phone folk. Phone folk are going to the major publishers, taking all the artists for a penny. Yep. And then all the downloads and other things. Down- you can download the So song. I get nothing. I'm getting nothing from no. my work now, you see. The radio play that I got, those that 250,000 sales, you know, was my investment in my work. Yep. You know, and that's an artist's work. You know, sometimes the the you know, when I when I, when I signed with with WEA, I didn't expect the thistle to be a huge success. It was going to be the album after that and the after mm-hmm. that because they keep recouping against you. So you end up with huge debt that you have to get a, a, a major hit out yep. the next thing. And if you have a major thing, it hit out the second thing or the third thing. They've got to pay for all three. You know, it's no, there's no, there's no giving away anything yeah, at yeah. all. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the story of Inside Out. Uh-huh. And then the, the next track is uh, That Kind of Girl, which we, we spoke about. I love that song. It's, it's smooth. It's, well, it's about my dad and my dad's advice and, uh, you know, um, the same thing. You go all over the wor- world, and you know. And when I came back here, it, they're not related, but they're part of the whole thing. That Audrey was a world tenor drummer champion, and she used to be Craigmine High School pipe band. And I was just back for one trip, and uh, this lassie came and beat the whole pipe band out to the all middle right. of the field. And I'd never seen such a beautiful uh, lassie in a pipe band. You uh-huh. know, there were a lot of them were. I don't mind. A lot of them will say that they were, they weren't off a, they did, I think they had a fight with a mantelpiece, some of them. <laughs> but uh, they were, they're, uh, I'd never seen such a beautiful girl. And I thought, Christ, you know, she's a great drummer. I got to have her for this video I'm working yeah. on now. My father said, as he took me to the road that leads me, straight on ahead, don't let the bands of dreadful life mislead you. 
So that was really uh, how that came about. So that kind of girl um, is just... I started off with Oni McIntyre. He was playing the bass in, in that and uh, the guitar. And I was playing guitar, I think, as well. But anyway, um, we just we had it as a demo. And I always liked it. And uh, it was when uh, Roger heard it. Because Roger made the selection, you know, obviously with pressure from. So when you have your demos, the ah, he would production pick. Production company kind of picks out. He would pick, you know, they, the the record companies have ones that they definitely wanted, uh-huh. uh, and I don't know why they thought I could make over the sea better than I had. So that was their stupid thinking. Mm-hmm. But um, and I found it difficult as well because you see, when I was like in Russia, well, I wasn't jumping about, but. Uh, I'll speak of it when I get up, come to Russia, but um, yeah, that kind of girl is just really a good tune. That is, aye. That's what it is. Yep. It was never supposed to have a video. And then we've got Houdini, aye. which is tell us about Houdini. What's that all about? Eh, well, that was all about being tied up by a lassie <laughs> at one stage. <laughs> Basically, uh, uh, Nairobi, Silka and me were working on tracks for the Space Cadets and uh, it, it came out of that, really. Right, right. That was, and so Roger heard that one, you know, he loved the track. Uh, and that's another uh, great track on the album, you know, it is another really good aye. one. And you see, the end of it is the worst rap that you could ever have <laughs> and it was deliberate because there's only one word you can make it and it's polis oh, oh, but then that's a forced one as well because it's Glasgow and I'm not Glasgow <laughs> no. you see but what happened was when I was recording it Max Hole great name came over uh, and was supervising some of these sessions we had to laugh about it we had a, Roger and me were just bit taking the piss out of him all the time <laughs> but anyway I'm just singing away Houdini there, and he goes, Jesse, Jesse, um, could I intervene? And I'm going, okay then. And he says, you know something? Rap is all the big thing now. now. Could you do a Scottish rap at the end of it? And I thought, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, I'm not a rapper. I'm not going to put a rap on the end of this damn thing. So I just went, I just, be like, just came up with a load of rubbish. <laughs> and he said, oh, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. And I just thought, oh, God. But it was a, an, it was it was a piss take, <laughs> and nobody got it, you know, especially him. <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
it's a good tune though. Houdini is a good tune. It's a great tune. Great oh, it's a great tune. And then we've got Don't Give Up, which is your next oh, one on the album. Don't Give Up. Now, how did that come about? That was only McIntyre and me again. Right. So it was really just uh, a sort of soulful acoustic thing to begin with. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, it evolved into the, the track. And uh, I think, again, that's Lester playing drums on it. Uh, Lester was just, uh, is such a great drummer. Uh-huh. I just love him. I wish I could have done more stuff for Lester. Don't give up. Um, that was really about. It was funny because I had a telephone in the video on the beach, and what I did was, um, Audrey was uh, uh, back here in Scotland, so it was really to her. You know, it was all about her because fifth of July is when we got married, right. and uh, uh, what I did was I had the first, well, one of the first. Uh, mobile phones that had a it had a block with a huge mast in it <laughs> and uh, 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 just like a, a block kind of phone anyway so I used to go down to Florida to do a lot of my writing and uh, I'd run along the beach and that's where I, the location where I did the, the thistle there in Hallandale and uh, I'd work on Spent a lot of time going up and doing the beach there, uh, coming up with melodies and, and all sorts of stuff and that. But um, I brought this thing with me from New York, and what I did was uh, uh, I got into the electrics on the the uh, the phone at right. the hotel, and it was only it was right on the beach. But you know um, these the, these transmitter things they they'd go for about a quarter of a mile or something like that. They were quite they were quite decent. <laughs> So then um, I took their green phone for the hotel and I ripped it out and I put in the receiver uh, from the handset. Right. So basically, uh, I was able to speak to Audrey on that phone when I'm going along the beach, the hotel Ah. phone, because there's no cord in it. Aye. But you see, but it transmitted back to the hotel room and then into the network. Right. You see. So anyway, um, yeah, that that, uh, that kind of, don't give up. Yeah, I just, uh, Roger... Loved that, and I loved doing the vocals with him in that. Uh, it's a message to home, eh? Eh? It was like a message to home. Message ah, it to was. Life at home, it? Aye. Great song as well. Thank you. And then the last one on that side is, is Friendship. Aye.
Again, what happened was um, a, back in nineteen eighty, was it? I had Roger, I had uh, Bernie and Michael Hampton. I was working on the worry stuff, basically, because I wanted to board a P funk thing, uh, and we'd been working on that track together. And then, so when I went back to the states, uh, I, I recorded it. Where did I record it first of all? French of a book. I can't even mind. I know I went up to Edinburgh, Hart Street Studios in Edinburgh, and did stuff there with Roy Ashby. Um, but then I recorded it somewhere in the States. I can't even mind. But anyway, Roger heard it and uh, he thought it was great. But at the same time, uh, I was in Dayton there in 1986, you see. And uh, that was when the, the shuttle disaster happened. Right. And so what I did was I, uh, I'd been going to Florida and I knew a few folk there and I said, look, I'm going to get in contact with NASA and see if they can give me footage of the disaster and, you know, just footage generally. Yep. So I struck up a friendship with them because I actually wanted to go into their simulator that you can float a boot and all that oh, stuff. Oh, the astronaut simulator. Ah, I wanted to do that, but I couldn't get that. I couldn't get that. But what they did was I got back to Scotland and they sent me tons of three quarter inch tapes of all their space stuff that they right. had, and the shuttle disaster as well. So that's although the the mute the 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 film is a bit grainy now, that was the quality that they were dealing with at that particular time. Uh -huh. So they were very impressed with the tune, and they really liked the concept of me dedicating it to the Challenger crew. Yeah, that's how that came about. Uh -huh. But uh, Lester's put a killer drum on the track. And uh, Roger, being Roger, just, you know, took off on it. Just uh, But Michael Hampton uh, and uh, uh, Bernie Worrell and myself, we wrote it. And uh, Michael's on it and uh, obviously Bernie. And um, basically uh, I got together here, as I said, in the Scottish Borders with Bernie and uh, the melody that, that I was singing, Bernie put it down as the keyboard part. And then I sang with that right. during the recording of it. Yeah. And then we go into the festival, which is one of your kind of, that's the first song on the, on the second side. But if you can paint a picture of how the video came about, I mean the song and if you just, how this whole concept. Thistle like, was really about, Thistle, my dog, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Um, uh, I loved that dog. It was just a, it was just a big, it was like a lion. It was uh -huh. just like a beast. Um, but so gentle and, and so strong, so I thought that pretty much summed up Scotland to me.
then what I thought was, right, I fancy doing this on a train and I'm going to um, get a train, I'm going to call it the thistle and I'm going to find somewhere that I can stand in the front of it. <laughs> That's basically it. And I got in touch with Scott Rail and uh, they said, ah, no problem at all. Well, why don't we do it in the West Highland Line? And I, I thought, that's good, because it was quite near, you know, I'd done, obviously, uh, over the sea, Eel and Donnan. Yep. <coughs> and, uh, and I enjoyed playing. I played at the ice rink at Inverness, and I, Inverness and uh, Fort William were uh, favourite places at the time. Uh-huh. And um, so I hired the train, and... Uh, uh, it was the first time the freight wagons had been put on the train for 50 years. Right. Uh, so I said, right, take the sides off. And uh, what I want is, everybody's going to be playing live on it as well. It's been filmed and recorded. So I need it all hooked up for power uh-huh. and amplifiers and all that so everybody can play. There's so one regret I have. I've lost the tapes of uh, the recordings of the actual instrumentation itself without the backing track on it because right. I always when I film my music video I only use the instrumental I never put the finished thing in that is because of all my edits and all my ideas come from the arrangement of the instrumentation no free vocals or free words or anything like that yep. so we'd run you know there'd be speakers on each of the carriages and the uh, musicians are all here to play along to uh-huh. right but then, you know, we'd stop the tape for quite long sections of time. So everybody's still playing. So, of course, the sound, when you went through a tunnel, you just, you had any, some long tunnels there. Aye, you couldn't, you, you know, the sound was amazing of Michael and, and, and Steve Ferroni and, and uh, Bernie playing live, you know, and us playing live. And, of course, we're all hooked up. So, I mean, I could, even on the front of the train, I can hear what they're all doing when I'm crawling about the front of the train. And you're literally uh, on the very front of the train. Aye. You're, you're, there's nothing holding you on. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, um, I could hear everything. And so some of the sounds and some of the playing, because it turned into, like, different versions of the thistle when we played it in just a cappella or played it, yep. you know. As an instrument, as uh, our own version of it. So I wish I could find. I'll maybe find them one day. Uh, but anyway, um, so everybody's hooked up, so everybody could play, and, the, and so the, there's nothing worse than musicians thinking they have to, you know, if you're going to go all that trouble, you're, you're going to have to be just playing along to a backing track, you know. So everybody thoroughly got into it, mm-hmm. and as I said, it was the first time in 50 years that freight wagons had been on that line, and after we did that. They continued on, so a positive aspect was that they, they, they brought the freight wagons yep. back to the West Highland line. I'm sure it had an influence on Harry Potter. <laughs> I would say there isn't two ways about it. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, uh, and it's a shame, the the weather, it was raining. And uh, unfortunately, it was raining the wrong way. Right. So the, the shots I wanted from the other side of the 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 the, the, the Glen Fiedek had the view uh-huh. shot through that, whereas like we had to do it the other way with the helicopter, with the rain cut, hitting it at the back. Yep. I was only regret that I had was that I, I was just praying that 
it wasn't just going to rain, it was the way the wind was going to blow Aye, it. because the wind would be coming in against it. Aye, so the they'd the be continually wiping lenses and that, so it just wouldn't have worked. It so was work. all the band up for it when you... When you oh, I, well... What did Bernie think I'll tell you about when we get to Over the Sea. <laughs> that's that's a whole different thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I mean, uh, I have a lovely picture that I use on my, my, my at the moment I've got on my uh, screen save for my, my iPad. And it's a picture, my mum's 96 now, and it's a picture of my mum uh, with her arms around uh, Michael and Bernie before they got on the, tra- on the train. And right. it's just, their faces are just so excited and, that you know, this was just such a great adventure. Mm-hmm. And I've also got a picture of uh, Steve Ferroni looking very sort of, not worried, but just looking very tentatively at his <laughs> kit, all kneeled down on the... <laughs> on the freight wagon thinking what exactly are, what, what are we going to take off with this thing you know so yeah it was you see the great thing about what I do is that I know exactly what I'm doing uh-huh. so as long as I didn't get interfered with I'll get the job done this is when the problems are run up against WEA the yep. interference interference put me off making music videos for years Aye. Just because I spend main money and they were making it more expensive and ruining everything, that I just gave up. There's no artistic for a long freedom, time. you know. It was just there was a mess. Yeah, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. But you see, if you write music like I do, for visuals, mm-hmm. I know what the fin- finishing is going to look like. It's really whether I can afford to do it. Going just jump it over the sea. That was supposed to be shot in IMAX because I knew fine if I shot that in IMAX. That was going to be there for the rest of ever. Yep. The quality. And there's problems with IMAX. See, cause there's only certain things you can do. But I knew that if I had that image with the Twin Towers, and we'll talk about it later, aye, but aye. Uh, the Thistle, yeah, it was the same thing. I wanted to shoot it in 35, and I couldn't afford 35 mil. I right. had to shoot it in 16. Right. But I telecined it, and um, the quality is still good. But I would, I, I'm a 35 millimeter man. That's m- proper movie. Uh, movie stuff yeah. you know it just didn't I just couldn't eat. it was just getting too expensive I had to just keep a, well, a, a hang of it it's you know? a fine balance isn't it you've got to I wouldn't see I never uh, even though video was coming in and improving I would never shoot in video mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe now there's there's certain digital videos you can you can shoot in and that are really good quality but you see there's something about I p- give you an example of that on a day on a dull day with rain Video shite. Right. Even digital video shite. Aye. It's great. You see all your music videos that are shot in California and the sunshine, Florida, looks great. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't know. But when you're shooting something, if I hadn't shot that in film, it would have been pretty dull. You know? But Aye. even with rain and wind and all the rest of it, um, you know, film still keeps the image alive yep. and, and sharper. You know, it's a better yeah. thing. But it's more difficult to do, obviously. Mm. It's a great video. You know. Well, it's not finished, as I said. I'm, I've, I've got to finish it yet. I've still got all the stuff for Roger to put in it. I've still got stuff, the other stuff I've got to put in. But um, I had to finish it at that point, at that particular time. And then our, our next song on that side. No, by the way, I wrote that with Jimmy Douglas. Oh, did you? Aye. Right, right. I wrote that one with Jimmy that Douglas. One with Jimmy. That's a great tune. You know, it's a great way to start off the second side of the album as well. Oh, aye. Brilliant. Brilliant. Aye. Well, you see, Bernie. 
Now that would give you an example. When he when he did that in New York and dubbed that in, I went bang. That's the sea. So I got to go back to Florida again. Uh, I'm going to be running across. I'm going to be running through the water in Florida. That's exactly. So that's visually. That's what you've seen when you. I had to do it. Mm -hmm. You see, the difference is that if the music tells me what to do visually, yep. So it's not an argument. There's no storyboard. There's no. There's no. Sorry. There's a storyboard based on the. I have this thing called the Ray formula, which I have my own hieroglyphics. I can show you about that. But basically, uh, the music instrumentation tells me what the visual idea is going to be. Mm -hmm. So as soon as Bernie did that, I thought, shit, I got to go and film in Florida. And our next song after that is is Be Yourself. Aye. Again, that's the Space Cadets. We started off for that one with Nairobi and me and his wee flat and uh, what was it again? 23rd and Broadway or something. I'll tell you, it was, it was quite funny, that story, because um, I got invited, well, I, I got the ticket, I was given tickets for the next sit. I got there, I'm sitting in the front seat there, uh, in the front row, with the Knicks playing Lakers or something like that, and I was bored at my head. It was like <laughs> netball to me. I just had, everybody else was jumping about and enjoying it and that. So anyway, I came out of there, and uh, I'm walking along the street, and I was going to go and get a taxi, but then when I get to the end of the road, and I'll notice the way at the end of the street, there's a riot going on, and there's police and all sorts of shit going on there. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go down this other way. I hailed a taxi, and uh, anyway, I'm getting, I, I, I get to uh, Nairobi's place, and I'm getting out of the taxi, and all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by two cop cars, and they're all getting out with their guns out in the van. Right. Uh, and I'm standing with my claymore over my shoulder, and I'm, I'm going, well, you know, what's what? And uh, Nairobi, um, he used to call me Hootie, you know, because Hootsman, you know, so he used to call me Hootie. Uh -huh. So he's shouting at the window, Hootie, Hootie, don't move, don't move, Hootie. And I wasn't bothered, you see. I, I, I just thought, what, 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 I've not done anything wrong, you know, and like that. Well, of course. What was it? St. Patrick's Day. Oh, right. And they thought I was fucking Irish. Uh. <laughs> and they'd already be rounding up all the hoodlums that were uh, Times Square. Times right? Square, yeah. Aye. They'd been rounding them all up and they thought I was Irish. Uh, so right. I had to I had to find the funny side to that, you know. <laughs> but that's when I was going in there, we were, we were doing um, uh, be, yourself. Um, be Yourself. Uh, and obviously for America it was Be Yourself. Yeah. And on the space cadets and that, but uh, I was always singing "Be Yourself," so Aye, I made sure that that's, that's I did our it. version mm -hmm. of it. So that was on the same day. <laughs> that, so I'll remember that right enough. It'll be St. Patrick's Day right enough. Aye. Aye. 
<laughs> but uh, oh, it was so funny though. It was just Nairobi. You thought they were going to shoot me. No, I wouldn't have bothered. Like, but it was just. No, no, no. I wouldn't have bothered to get shot. But I knew they weren't going to shoot me. But they just thought I was Irish. Just wanted to round you up. So I said, "Look, I'm Scottish." And they just thought put their guns in their holsters again. You see? Right. And then you went. That was it. And then we have the next one is is Russia. That's right. That's now what happened was that I had been playing this bass riff. And they uh, had this beautiful Fender Precision uh, bass that, that uh, I think originally used to be owned by my favourite band at that time, the Crusaders. Right. Horn player. It was his bass player. But anyway, when I was uh, in California, because in 1976, I was recording at the record plant in California. And uh, that's where I met Buddy Miles <laughs> and, and the lads that I worked with there. And again, Bernie, uh, that solidified my... Because 1976, 77, I was working with uh, Gary Kelgren, the great Gary Kelgren. Right. Uh, who owned the record plant in, in, in Los Angeles. And he was going to be my first producer, but then, you know, well, they said that he drowned in his swimming pool with his girlfriend, but I know he was pushed under, you know. So that kind of knackered my album, my first major album. That was really going to be a big album for me because right. I'd spent, you know, some time in New York and then I'd got through to my journey. When I got through to California, um, it was an engineer that said, "Look up, look up, Gary Kelgren," and Gary Kelgren was, you know, he invented stereo and mm. phasing, and he was, he had this this studio in Sausalito, and and he built the ones in Los Angeles and Sausalito. So he was a genius. Yeah, but he loved my stuff, and he loved me, so I loved him, and he was were great pals. So anyway, back in Scotland, I was playing the bass, and um, I came up with this riff, and I thought, "This is." You know, I, I fancy doing something that's uh, half classical and half funk, you know. So when I was back in New York, of course, all hell was breaking loose because uh, the Cold War. So I had a friend called Ted Spencer who had a wee studio in New York, and he was an engineer for one of the major studios. And uh, he just did a lot. I did some of my demos and stuff at this place. Right. In fact, I have a tune called Do the Sheep. That went on the gong show in, in Los Angeles with that I did oh, right. in there. Oh, I, it's <laughs> unbelievable. But anyway, um, so and I done the name of Charlie Peep and the Shepherds featuring the Bleatettes. <laughs> but anyway, I wasn't going to do it in my own name. No. <laughs> uh, but it's a great funky tune. It's really great. But That's anyway, so I was doing yeah. things like that. And then I, I decided to do a, a version of uh, Russia there. So I got Bernie to come in. And uh, Steve Ferroni, and uh, in that wee flat, we we did it. And what I said to Bernie was, "Look, Bernie, you know we're like a couple of dolphins swimming along the water. We can swim along and both know which way we're going to both go at the mm -hmm. same time and never clash. You know that was the way that that was the magic of working with Bernie. Yep. Him and me just, you know, just were thinking that. exactly the same. So I had this basic." I did a simple thing like that, 
And uh, I said to Bernie, like, you go into that room there. It was a bedroom or something. You go into there and just play what you play. Because this is just, you know, I knew his, he was, he was, um, you know, he, he was really into classical music yep. from the age of nil to, to you know, till he hit, got hit with the P-Funk, you know, and George asked him to join. So he's classically trained. So he loved classical music, but he always put the funk into it, you know, like uh-huh. Mozart. And uh, so he just played that stuff and uh, he came up with this line. And I thought, right, I said, this is going to be my next music video. So I thought to myself, right, what am I going to do here? We've got this all going on here. We've got the Cold War going on. Uh, I'll try to say the name of the guy, his name. Cause I, the Russian? No, yeah, the head of Russia at the time, it was Andropov. So anyway, um, well, actually, I sent a copy of the Andropov himself, personally. All right. And he died a week later, so I hope there's no <laughs> connection. I, I thought, right, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to combine him. And I thought... Now, this is, I'm pioneering a music video, so I thought, right, what's the most difficult thing to do with a, an American audience to get over on? So I thought, right, I'm going to sing this in Russian. going to have a funk track with Russian in it, right, and singing Scots in Russian. And uh, then I thought, well, this this gives me a chance to really see if my formula works. So my formula was the instrumentation, right? And in the instrumentation, uh, because of Bernie's playing, I thought, I'm going to get a ballerina. I'm going to find a ballerina in New York, Juilliard, not Juilliard, the main ballet school. It's a young, beautiful lassie that's got a great face. Because I need somebody who had a great face, you see, yeah. but she could dance really well. So I found this lassie. Uh, I was I was uh, going to the studio one day and that, and where the studio was was the big ballet school there. This lassie came out the door, obviously with her mother, and she's a wee thin thing with her, uh, an amazing face on her. Uh, and, you know, uh, so obviously... I rushed after her, and of course, they wondered what the hell <laughs> I was doing. You know, it was sort of Scotland, you know, a border reaver coming after them, <laughs> and sort of thing. And that. But anyway, I explained, and I said, Look, I'm going to give you a recording of this, and I want you to uh, go home with it, and I want you to, every note that Bernie plays, I want you to use your points on it. Right. Every note. So she never. 
that's why I'm saying the great thing about using an instrumental is that people just concentrate on what you have there. Yeah. You know. Uh, so without vocals or to put them off, all I needed her was to listen to Bernie's playing and just do her points on every note that he played. Mm-hmm. So she did that. And then I've, I've got to have this friend called Wendy Biller who was a really wacky lady that was a choreographer. And I said to her, listen, I've got this wee lassie. I want you to go with her and, and, and work on this thing. Then I found uh, a, a Russian lad who was in my building uh, in 66 in Columbus. And when I do anything in a language, I, I write in the language. So I never translate, because if you're doing what I wanted originally, like I I said to him was, da da da, da da da, you see. So I needed to find a word that sounded like that, you see. So he helped me, and he says, "Oh, kakshivyosh sounds like that." And says, "Kakshivyosh." I said, "What does that mean?" He says, "How are you doing?" I thought, "Oh, that's fine," then you see. So that worked with the rhythm and the sound of the thing I needed. And then uh, I had to go to work with him, Ruben. I had to go work with him. It basically, what I wanted to say, finding out the Russian for it, and then finding the right phrases. Now, the reason for doing that is because if somebody doesn't know a language, if you can make it rhyme... Yep in the language they can find it out and I tested that out when I went down to one of my trips down to Florida uh, on the beach there and uh, there was a real heavy rock and roller guy that I knew he was a real nutcase and I'd just done you know a a version of Russia and uh, I said to him by the way I had one of the first Sony Walkmans ever yeah my when I did this, again, I did it in a Japanese tune, Desire. Well, no, I didn't. It was the B-side that I did in in, in Japanese. Um, I had to do the same thing. I had to get together with him and learn the language to make you it You like fit a challenge, don't you? Oh, well, <laughs> no, you see, it's not as much because the thing is, this is an example. So I thought, how am I, you know, because I was, I was concerned about how I'm going to get over on the American public uh-huh. with a tune at that particular time in the middle of the Cold War. Well, all that was going on, singing something in Russian, yep. right, you see? So I wanted to see what the power of music video was, if this was going to work, you see? So anyway, I got this rock and roller guy was chewing gum and smoking weed, and he was he was going out his head down there. I let him hear it, put the Walkman on his head and that. He only had it on for like four seconds. He was going, <laughs> He was doing it straight away. And I'm thinking, okay, so that does work. As long as you get the right sound that fits, that they can just image. You've got a got rhythm. So I thought, right, that works. So I was quite confident that, that I could do this now, you see. But with the music video... I wanted, really, I wasn't even going to be in it at all, you see. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be in it. Um, but uh, the Lassie and, and Thingby, what happened was that Todd Rundon had just opened up a, a new video place. He was Sorry, he was still building it. Right. Uh, up in um, Bearsville, up, upstate New York. 
And there's a funny story about that because around that time he got robbed and uh, the guys uh, had him all tied up and his wife and all that stuff and they were taking this and that and they were going, he knew it was Todd Rundon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy says, oh, could you sign this record for me? And his hand was tied up and he was writing it, right? But anyway, he'd opened up this place and they were still building it. Right. right. Again, I was at that time, which I'm not now, I hate technology now, I hate it, hate mm-hmm. it, hate it, hate it. But uh, at the time then, I was really pioneering. I wanted to be first in everything that I was doing. Not deliberately, but I wanted to try and find the folks that were pioneering in the latest things, yep. you know, that, that I could utilise in my music. So anyway, I get up to Woodstock. They've still got wood carpeters, carpeters doing all this stuff and that. And his uh, technical guy called uh, uh, Woody Woodside, uh, Woody Wilson, um, he was the uh, the electronic uh, engineer for the for the place, right. and they had some things in it there that not even uh, after we were using it, ABC started using it uh, for the American football. All the thing, you know, that flips the pictures and all this yep. stuff uh, and that. There's none of that when I, you know, before I went up there. So we had the first and chroma key. Nobody was doing chroma key, you see. So. Um, so he created some backgrounds for me and then we got the ballerina to do all the stuff and that's the, the story there. But the combination of Scots and Russian uh, in the tune in a music video, that's what I was experimenting with as well as the other melody, which is having a visual melody of a wee lassie uh, pointing out every note that Bernie played. Yep. So Without the lyrics on it. It's ah, just so the two things together combined. So what happened was, um, I got a call from um, uh, Washington D.C. and uh, the Endowment of the Arts had seen it, and they wanted to give me an award for furthering the frontiers of music and pictures for America or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that was we, at least we got acknowledged for. Yeah, the work we did in the classical and in the arts yeah, area, yeah. which I was very interested in, you see, because to me, music video wasn't just a, a workhorse for a record. As I told you, Clive Davis had said it was rubbish. Yeah. It would never sell records, right? But their interpretation of what a music video was, as I said, was giving it to a director, him hearing the words and the lyrics and making up some fantasy pictures that went with it just to sell a record. Just, uh, just to get the you see? So I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in how deep music video could go. <laughs> so Russia proved it to me because then I, it was one of the most popular videos in the Ritz in New York for years. They used to put it on every night there and I found that people would get up and danced it and they didn't care if it was a Russian tune or didn't care yep. if it was a, a girl. Did uh, you ever d- release it in it. Russia? Did, eh? did it ever come out? Ah, well, what happened was that I signed with Sony first. There's the only artist who signed with uh, a video deal uh, before I signed with a record deal, but Columbia wanted to put the record out. Okay. Columbia Records put the record out. The unfortunate thing is when you pay for things yourself, it's hard, right? But the good thing is you're boss. Uh-huh. So if you know what you're doing, and I knew what I was doing. If I went to art school, I was writing my little hieroglyphics things for years. So I knew that, the you know, music and pictures were going to be one. And when it came to a writer, being a writer, I never discriminated. 
between that. So every song that I write, like I'm doing now with that Stevie Creed, the boxer, yeah, uh, you know, uh, you know, every tune that I write now, not only do I put the funk in it, but I also uh, write a storyboard for it as I'm doing it. You know, so that you never know it's going to be, you know. So mm-hmm. it's better to know that because then, when you know it, then you know you're going to get the job done. If I if I was able, what they're going to do now. Because I saw that thing on Click now where they're actually able to take your brainwaves and make it into a visual picture. If I was able to do that then, you know, these videos would have been outrageous. Uh-huh. But they always fall short because of either your financial situation or your technical situation. Yep. But back for Russia there, Woody had the latest uh, effects that nobody else had. And uh, that was really the, the key of putting them into background. So when I did the chroma key, there was something more interesting going on yeah, there. Yeah, you've got all that fading and twisting the screens and stuff. Aye. And then, of course, you see even just that simple shot of coming, taking film, because we found a Russian um, church uh, coming round the bend with all the, the, uh, the, the Russian lads dressed up and they're uh, do, doing the clap and to the dance to it. And her super, uh, me superimposed with my kilt, clapping my hands. You know, at that particular time, 1979, 1980, it was a way ahead. Yeah. So, I, it wasn't that I, w- I was trying to be well ahead. It was just I needed to, to be able to visualise what I had my head mm-hmm. onto videotape. Yeah. Uh, and then our next track on side two is Over the Sea. Aye. Which is one of your most iconic videos as well, isn't it? Aye. I would say so. Definitely. the sea actually was an outtake from Bernie and me were in the studio in New York and it was one of the worry projects that I was working on and we had some really I mean Steve Jordan and uh, Bernie and uh, myself on that um, you know and then bringing in TM and all these lads that I need to work with it was really uh, a great time in New York then. It was full of uh, ideas and it was buzzing, you know, it was just great. And um, I was, we were doing all these different tracks and I booked a whole load of studio time. And anyway, after everybody had left, there was one track that we were working on and it was just, it went on forever. It changed from this to that to all the rest of it and that. So what I did was, when everybody's away, I got the, we transferred it over from the multi-track on uh, 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 a half-inch 15 IPS tape mm-hmm. or 30 IPS tape, and I got the the editing block out. And what I did was um, I copied over bits of the mix because I'd run off mixes of the stuff in, on two track like that. Right. And then when I had it in two track, I copied them back over on the multi track and then back on the quarter inch again. So I could have a verse, bridge, chorus and right. like that. Edited together with tape. 
and that was basically the backing track for uh, for um, Over the Sea. And there was one part in it that Bernie went with his keyboard, and I said, you know something? That's a Claymore flying through the air. Now, I didn't, not only did I not know in, what year was that anyway? That would be 1982. I didn't have my Claymore then. It wasn't until 93, 94 I had my Claymore. Um, so I didn't know what a Claymore was. I just, right. I said this idea, sword, Scottish sword flying through the air. When I got back to Scotland and I, sit, I looked out for Claymores everywhere, you know, I'd come across Claymore butter, Claymore whiskey, and they had two broadswords. Right. Ah, yeah. They didn't even know themselves what a bloody Claymore was. <laughs> I said, you know something? So I built Over the Sea as a music video soundtrack originally uh, with this Claymore flying through the air. Mm-hmm. And I was going to th- chuck it through the top of the Twin Towers to uh, Scotland. So I went up the top of the Twin Towers and I had a look around in that. I told you I worked down below at four. Yeah, four there, yeah. anyway. I uh, got up the top there and uh, my kilt was blown all over the place <laughs> and I was, you know, it was it was guy windy, gusty up the top of there and you have this <laughs> swirl between the two of them as well, you see. Aye. But I couldn't get near the edge. The, the, the way they had it built there, you can't get to near the edge. I need to get to the edge. Of the building, I couldn't get the end right. of the building, so I thought, what else could I do? So this lad I'd hired says, "Well, why do you do the Brooklyn Bridge?" And I thought, "Perfect." <laughs> I thought that that's that's perfect. I'm going to chuck the Claymore top of the Brooklyn Bridge back to Scotland. So anyway, cut a long story short, I got the money together. I got everything. I got my helicopter. What I did was, I filmed everything in Scotland the way that I was going to film it in New York. Right. And basically, I had a version of Over the Sea that was complete here. What I was going to do then was go to New York and drop all the shots, like another paint, coat of paint, yep. on top of it all, yep. you see, and the bits that I needed, right? So I took my own, uh, Pete Warlow was my cameraman. So I had these folk, I think it was Wild Tigers or something like that, and uh, they uh, uh, they were great as well. So I still had um, um, uh, Pete Warlow hanging out. Anyway, so... I thought, wait, okay, I'll try and do this properly, you know, I'll contact the city. City wasn't very keen. Uh, so I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll talk to the the um, the uh, the builders, uh, the, sorry, the steel workers, uh-huh. and I'll go up the Brooklyn side, not the New York side. So I said to them, look, I want to shoot up the, there. And the boy says, well, no problem at all. We'll let you do that. It's no problem at all. I've got a couple of guys that can help you if you need a hand with some things and that you see so i thought okay that's fine anyway so uh, i i was finding out with permission the 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 new york folks said no you can't have a helicopter you can't drop we can't drop you on the top of like i did with the five sisters because i didn't fly, climb the five sisters they dropped me off right can't do it i said well, what if we jump or something no no you can't do that right so we had to climb it, you see. <laughs> so I, it, Steve Jordan 
was doing Saturday Night Live and the David Lerman show. Yeah. Right? And I thought, Bernie wasn't around. I was wanting Bernie, but he was on tour, you see. So, and Hiram, you know, uh, he he was off doing tour as well when he, w- he was supposed to be doing the show, but he was away doing a tour with somebody. So what happened was that I said to uh, Steve Jordan, I said, listen, Steve, I'm going to make a music video here. I said, do you fa- this is going to be a mind blower. We're going to do it at the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. This is fantastic, you see. So I knew what Steve was like because he's partying all the time. And, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't flinch about anything. He thought Brooklyn Bridge, but how we're going to do it, he didn't can. So I left it till like about, um, about a week or seven or eight days, eight or nine days before I was going to film. And I told him what he needed to have. He needed to have a pair of sneakers. He needed <laughs> to have a wee rucksack. I needed his rehearsal kit that could fit in a rucksack with symbols in the uh, I had my my pole split in two uh, with my flag. Right. My claymore strapped my back. I had a sound <laughs> system for uh, playback. And I had a walkie-talkie for the directing the cameraman and all the rest of it, you see. So I called him up and I said, uh, Steve, now mine next week, you know, we're, we're going to do the Brooklyn Bridge. Yep. And have you got the stuff? He says, ah, I've got the stuff and that. I said, well, Steve, we're going to have to climb it. Is that okay? And there was a bit of silence for a while, you see. Uh-huh. He said, oh, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fine. So anyway, it got to the day of the filming. He'd been up partying all night with some of the Saturday Night Live crew and all that, right? So I come round there with the, 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 the limo and I'm ringing and ringing and ringing and a wee head sticks out in a tussle the head uh, <laughs> been partying all night. I said, well, you get your stuff. We're going to film this thing, right? So he came down and uh, we're in the back of the limo and said, now, uh, I said to you, you know, how are we going to do this? You know, and he said, but we're not really going to climb it, are we? <laughs> I says, aye, we're really going to climb it, right? And it had been drizzly that day and all and that, you know. So what we'd do, I would to climb up the centre cable. Right. right. And you've got a With everything to strapped to your bike. Yeah. Everything strapped. <laughs> I had a, uh, what I did was I had a, a steel worker ahead of him. I made him go first, you see. Because right. I knew fine that if he got panicky a wee bit, I'd be behind him to help him, you know. I couldn't turn the other way. And I had one steel worker at the end, you know, basically. So basically, we're, good, we're doing fine. But then the last 20, 30, 40 feet uh, is uh, a ladder. And it was a rickety little ladder. And you had to leave the the, the main uh, pipe. Right. Just a pipe. It was, around, it was only like a nine-inch or six-inch pipe. It was nine at all. Uh-huh. And uh, so we managed doing it it wasn't too bad going up actually and then when we're up there uh, I got the helicopter coming as close as he possibly could and there's some shots <laughs> I've got in the, the raw footage that uh, uh, you know you can tell what's going to happen because he came in so close that the updraft uh, Steve's symbol just went <laughs> off like oh, that no. <laughs> and I thought oh Fuck if that if that hits anybody because you've got two <laughs> lanes of traffic, you've got boats going this way and everything like that. You know it'll kill somebody. You know, but uh, thankfully it didn't kill anybody. <laughs> right? One symbol just went just fl- went. flying across the surface. The other one took off altogether. So anyway, uh, we did that, and the only problem was coming down 
because it rained, it was drizzly, and it was getting dark. Yep. So you had the headlights of cars, you had the boat's lights, and it was slippy going down. That was the only problem we had. But I'll give him full credit. It was an amazing job that he did. You know, that would never and happen again. He didn't, he didn't flinch when we were up there. Didn't flinch at all. And I can't tell jokes, so I was trying to think of any jokes <laughs> I could on the way up there just to keep him happy. But uh, I could tell by his well. grip. His hands <laughs> were black, but they were white that day when they were going up, up, the, going up the way. So that's how Over the Sea came okay. about. Videos like that wouldn't happen anymore. No, no, no. Well, no, you, no, 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 saying that, no, they can't happen. You've just got to find a way of doing them that you can get away with. And it was great because, you know, nobody been up there for a hundred years except Mir. They, they, they did manage to carry Mir Koch up there or something like that. Or right. I don't know how they got him up there. Maybe the Lord of my help. Maybe they allowed that or something. I've no idea. It was only, and so when I was up there. It just felt like the Five Sisters. It just felt like nobody had been up here for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. you know. And the only problem I did have was that when I was running about, the old original, uh, if you like, stonework and nuts and stuff were in hard stone. So, of course, a couple of times my brogues, and I had segs on my feet, which yep. made it even worse, uh, hit them. A couple of times I tottered. I was pretty close to a couple of times when we did that. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, uh, they just superimpose somebody on it now. That's what they would do for a video or oh, something. Oh, no problem at all. No, what I'm glad about is I know they had the the the, the flagpole, but after I put my flag up there, they used the flagpole mere for putting up the union the stars and. Oh, they they used to just put it up for occasions, but after we filmed there, they they put it up quite regularly, which is was nice to see. Aye. it's just a job. Kicking yourself. <laughs> you have to do. I didn't think about. I didn't like heights, so I just thought of it as a job, mm -hmm. and it had to be done. I was paying for it, and I had to make sure had, that uh, I got the results that I got. And of course, the thing about it in those days is now everybody can get a bit of video, and they can look at it straight away, and they see what they've done. They go off and do it. Yep. With film, even the idea had to be processed and then get it back. Yeah, so but I always did one. though. I always strapped a little video camera on everything I did so that I would see back at least later on that evening of what it looked like yep. roughly, you know. Like, for instance, like as well, you know, the claymore flying through the air, you know, there's no animation in that. So I had a little claymore that was about that size. I had the huge claymore because it ha I had these little cam cameras that you put on. It just worked on a cassette. Uh, and they're a film camera yep. so I had to strap that to the end of it so that when I looked the reason I had the big in was because that when it was foreshortened it just looked like a dagger uh -huh. you ne I needed the large one for it strapped to the yep. bottom of the helicopter so, you get look, yeah. so it was lucky that the people that I worked with in Scotland gave me the same exact stuff that I strapped the same way uh, in right. New York so right. I kept a sort of continuity yeah. to the shot it's got to, people have got to check the video out because it's an amazing video. Right. It's won awards. It's you know it's, it was groundbreaking. It wasn't. Well, it's in the top hundred videos of the world yep. now. So yeah, so it's I'm pleased definitely. Listeners should check it out because I wrote with Bernie, and that's what I'm pleased about most of all. Mm -hmm. And that's why my big claim was in the Funk Music Hall of Fame and Exhibition Centre in Dayton, Ohio, because 
that claymore represents me and Bernie together, and it's Bernie held that claymore, and as yep. far as I'm concerned, you know, that's the place it should be. And we, we finish off the album, Jesse, with Scotland the Brave. So Again, that was around the Christmas tree here in 1980, I think it was, with with Bernie and Michael and myself and uh, trying out the P-Funk things. And really, it sums me up. Yep. You know? You want to knock the way I look. I'm not a pager of your book. You thought that I was just a fad. I'm here to stay. Well, just too bad. <laughs> that Fantastic. sums me up. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Donald. So, basically, um, that was just really all about... The, so the, Jesse's the, wife's just bringing his tea and biscuits here. It's amazing. Uh, no, your biscuits. And, Al, and, and Alan is here as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> The Brooklyn Tea yes. Party. Oh, thank it's you very Brooklyn much. Tea Party. I really appreciate I just, it. That's I hate great. to think who's going to get chucked in the water. So, <laughs> so idiosyncrasy, that's basically it, is really the way I felt that that it, Warner Brothers and uh, WEA were just like, treat me like I'm a yeah, novelty. Like, I, I mean, no, no, in all fairness, they wouldn't assign me. They knew fine that what I was capable of doing, but they, as far as England goes, they knew that I, they would have to sell me as a novelty rather than yep. even though I'd written inside out and, and written good songs, their their concept of what I was, you know. And uh, you know, the story of the, the helmet goes back a long way and really the guy Gary Kelgren in nineteen seventy six, nineteen seventy seven when he got you know yep. um that was when I realised I was gonna go to war with the industry. But I was gonna make I was gonna be uh, you know, <sighs> well, my mother and father thought I was good looking, but I didn't want that to get in the way of the funk. I didn't want to be, uh, you know, the typical, like a Daryl Hall kind of yep. thing. Aye. You know, I just wanted to, you know, have my music and uh, genuine. And the thing that that time the music video was that it was all about that. It was all about the glam. It was all about how you looked and all the rest of it and that. And I wanted to be just one whole person. Yep. So I didn't want the emphasis on how you look, you know. <laughs> but what actually happened was that, that when we were in uh, doing the album in uh, uh, in Dayton, uh, 
I realised because I was always I was wearing a helmet all the time anyway. Yep. But then when it, I have a friend now uh, in Dayton that actually was one of the wee kids that came to the door of the studio with right. with uh, Bernie's uh, with uh, Roger's little nephews and that. They're only like five or six or seven of that age group, and they all appeared at the studio door and they had. A a Seven Eleven paper bag <laughs> over their heads with the holes out it, <laughs> and crow's feathers sticking out of it, and that's how they appeared. Yeah. So I realised then that music videos for kids. Uh-huh. So that's why in over the sea, the helmet rolls off, but I didn't. I didn't show myself yep. without my helmet. No. Because I realised then that it was for them, and it was important that I stayed. As the whole thing, yeah, yep. rather than oh how he looks and all the well, rest. It's a whole package, it. but it? very important, right? As I told you, like in London in that time, when Inside Out was about, and I think that. So what I decided was, I thought, you know something, I was getting all this stick for doing uh, funk music with a kilt on, uh-huh. and you know, being proud of being Scottish. As soon as I put the helmet on full time, right. Nobody paid any attention to my kilt. Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they were so going on about the helmet. Why is he wearing the helmet? Why do you not take it off? Why is there stuff and that? That I carried the kilt into funk and into music, modern music, with no problem at yeah, all. Yeah. So that was a an end to me. You know, the two things of like realizing that music video was for young kids. Mm-hmm. That I had to keep my identity as such. Yeah. Aye. And also the fact that I thought this was a perfect way. Of legitimately uh, getting the kilt in music because they wouldn't, they were concentrating on my helmet so much. Yeah, I didn't even no. <laughs> realise we're wearing a kilt. So that's that's and how that came about. Uh, so that's it. That's, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the, that's the end of the album. And I'll finish off with this for the kids in Malawi. Definitely. Fantastic, Jesse. Wonderful stuff. 
So there we go, folks. That's the end of the interview with Jesse. Uh, I can honestly say it was a real eye-opener for me uh, to spend three hours with a guy. It was just, it was great. And Alan Doyle turned up, so a big thanks to Alan. Uh, the quality wasn't that good, Alan, unfortunately, or we could have squeezed some of your, your time in there as well, but the quality didn't really pick much up on the microphone. Uh, but it was great to see you. And I'd... You know, Jesse does so much other stuff as well. So he's the trustee for the William Wallace statue down in St. Boswell. So please go and visit www.tv.scot. There's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week global community funk TV station that Jesse does on his own. And if you want to donate any money to the restoration of the statue, which is one of the oldest statues to William Wallace that we have in this country, you'll find a, a donation page on there as well. So, you, you know, I went down, it was probably a Wednesday night, mid-September there, and I seen it on Facebook that Jesse was going to be performing live. I mean, you're looking at half past seven, eight o'clock at night. So, and he was taking his gear up, to the statue, setting up with Alan and his son, setting up his, you know, all his his external kit to play, and and doing it for free. He was doing it to raise funds for this statue. So please, please go to www.tv.scot, and if you can donate any money, I'm sure Jesse will be delighted. Uh, and if you want to check out his videos on YouTube, and you can be able to tie them in with the stories he's told. But for for me. It was an absolute privilege. Um, we don't really have guys like Jesse in Scotland. You know, they come along once in a lifetime. So just take a bit of time to appreciate who he's worked with, what he's done, and what he's trying to do to bring funk music to Scotland. It's not something we generally fall in love in, uh, with. But just take a bit of time and, you know, if you, if you could buy a CD off him, just ping him an email. I'm sure he'd be delighted to, uh, if you want to buy some of his music. So, yep, Jesse, thank you very much. And in the next episode, we've got a few more lined up. Uh, and we're in the process of lining up some special guests again. So this this is going to be good. And look forward to episode three of Made in Scotland podcast. So just before we go, we shall have another listen to Jesse's Inside Out. What a fantastic track. Get up, have a little dance around. Come on, you know you want to.
That you'll be telling me 